Good morning, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. By way of reminder, uh, being today that is Mother's Day, there will be no evening service tonight, so take time to spend with your families, with your loved ones, and uh, give thanks to God for them. On Mother's Day, uh, it is tempting for us to think that because it's a day we, we try to give extra recognition to the wonderful mothers and wives in our life about their wonderful God-given task, we think, oh, the preacher is going to talk to my mom or to my wife so I can check out just a little bit today. So I challenge you not to do that because there is something in the text for every one of us. We want to reflect on the life of Jesus Christ and an encounter he had with his own mother. So as we begin this morning, let us open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word, Father God. We know it's true. I pray that you would use it to instruct us and to teach us and remind us of how sufficient your word is for each and every day as followers of you. We thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for the work you're doing in this church. And specifically, Father God, we thank you for our wives, our mothers, who pour so much time and energy into not only following you, but to raise children to know and follow you as well. We give you the thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I reflect a little bit on my, my own upbringing, there is something that I, I found fascinating in recent days from when I, when I was a, a, young, a young fella with, with my, under my parents' authority and to now as an adult with my own children and I go and visit my parents. Growing up, I, I, was, I was well fed. My mother is a wonderful cook. And yet I remember many times uh, through life where in my selfish nature that I wanted certain foods I could not have. Especially when it, it always seemed to stick in my mind it was right before dinner time. Or I wanted a piece of candy or a cookie. And I was often told, no, you'll ruin your dinner. But now as an adult, I go back and I visit, and what I find is there are sweets placed in front of me before dinner, during dinner, after dinner. And I'm like, why didn't this happen as a child? And not only on top of that, I take my children to see my parents, and there is sweets placed in front of them. And I say, don't do that. Motherhood is a wonderful thing, because a mother has to give clear direction. A mother has to guide and to teach. A mother has to be discerning. But a grandmother, on the other hand, can have a little bit more freedom and liberties, because she's been down the hard road, and now she enjoys but that's on a lighter note. We want to consider a passage in our text today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. As we consider an encounter with Jesus and his own mother during the height of Jesus' ministry in Capernaum, as some interesting things unfolds in the life of our Savior. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 46 through 50 this morning. 
Motherhood is a spiritual warfare. Getting up each day to lead, to serve, to guide and direct and nurture those who are growing under her care, whether few or many. It is, it is a denial of self, choosing to not to live for herself, but to those who God has entrusted to her and her husband, to lead them and instruct them in the Lord. But it's also a spiritual warfare for herself to rise each day and to either say, I'm going to do this, I got this, I have what I need, because I seek the world's approval so that they know I'm a good mommy, so that they know I have, so that my life looks all put together. Social media has a way of of deceiving us in that way. Versus the spiritual warfare to get up and to say, I'm not self-sufficient, I need strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the task ahead of me today is sometimes more than I can bear. With the endless feedings, with the endless diaper changes, and with the task to serve and to protect and not want to pull our hair out all at the same time. There are many terms of endearment for mothers, one of which I was reminded of recently is the term mama bear. To one person so bluntly put it, mama bear is such a wonderful way to describe the fact that she will tear you open and eat your insides if you hurt my child. And although that might be put to the extreme, it seems more and more in our day and age that mothers are much more vigilant and aware. It's not to say they weren't in the past, but life is scary outside the home. And mothers are sharp to protect their young ones whom God has entrusted to them. And even as they leave home one day, they never stop praying, wondering, caring, broken when they wander away, when they live for themselves instead of following the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text today, we want to be reminded of a time that Mary brought her other sons to see Jesus and her concern for him, and Jesus takes it as an opportunity to instruct his disciples and those who are listening of the proper place of the Lord and God his Father in their life. For many, not just mothers, but parents together, our identity can be wrapped up in ourselves, in our marriages, in our parenthood, in our careers, whatever it might be. And if we're not careful, we can find our identity in, the fact, in our children, wanting them to succeed so much that we neglect ourselves. We're doing them harm because we shielded them too much and wanting them to turn out just right. Ultimately, our identity needs to be in Jesus Christ and him alone, doing the will of God the Father, and relying on him in each and every day for our instruction. Motherhood is a wonderful and beautiful, God-honoring and God-glorifying thing. Motherhood is a warfare, not just in the daily grind of, from a parent and a child who wants their own way from a mother's instruction, but also a spiritual warfare to rely on the Lord's strength and not her own. As we approach our text, right before we read in Matthew, turn over with me to the Gospel of Mark. 
Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 12. The Gospel of Mark is a parallel passage to our text this morning. Mark chapter 3. We learn from Mark's version of our story that Jesus is ministering in Capernaum, possibly in Peter's house. The picture is one of Jesus being inundated by the crowd, and his mother and brothers cannot even get into the house because there are so many people. They must send Jesus a message that they are waiting outside to see him. Mark's gospel tells us that they have come to take Jesus away from the crowd. Jesus has been so covered up with the ministry, he has even ceased eating. And they, understandably, are worried. In fact, they have concluded that he is out of his mind. If we look at Mark chapter 3, we read in verse 20. He went into the home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out and seized him, for they are saying, he is out of his mind. What a wonderful, encouraging thing for a family to say. I don't know that the text does not tell us if Mary said that, because as we look at the life of Mary in the early parts of the Gospels and the birth of Jesus, how many times she treasured up all these things in her heart. Because the angel Gabriel told her what he would do. When they presented him in the temple, Simon told her what he would do, that her heart would be pierced. But we learn in the scriptures that it wasn't until after he had risen from the dead that his brothers didn't even believe who he was. They grew up with him. And yet here they're saying he's out of his mind. He needs to eat. He needs to come home with us. So we go to our text in Matthew chapter 12, and we see what Jesus is going to do with this encounter. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Motherhood is one of the greatest things a woman can do on this earth. But her identity needs to be found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ that reorients her right relationship with her children. This is the thought I want us to consider this morning. In our text here at the end of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is having a very interesting time in his ministry. You might even say one of the more difficult portions early on. If we look at Matthew chapter 12 as a whole, we would see that he's encountering the crowds. He's encountering the Pharisees. And one of the charges that have been brought against him by the religious leaders is the fact that he has recently cast out demons from some individuals. And their accusation against him is that he does this by the power of the devil, by Beelzebul. What strong words that we often glance over. Here is the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ the Messiah, dwelling among men, casting out demons so people can know him. And the crowds say, you're not doing that by the power of God. You're doing that by the power of the devil. Very strong words. In the midst of that, he teaches them about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He teaches them about who he is. 
And all this is going on, and as the Gospel of Mark tells us, so much is happening that Jesus and his disciples can't even eat food. They are so busy. And Mary and his brothers show up, and they're trying to get into the house to even see him. Jesus had an earthly family that was near and dear to him. Although they didn't fully believe who he said he was, they still took time to care for him. And a mother, as Mary was, wanted to care for her son that was dear to him. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 tells us that when Jesus went home at one point to Nazareth, when he was rejected by the people that he grew up among, the response was, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? We learn from the, from the New Testament that Jesus had a family that he cared about and whom cared about him. But Jesus was about his Father's will. But even though Jesus had grown up, even though he was about his Father's business, even though he was out ministering to the crowds, Mary still cared. And Jesus is going to use this encounter to point his disciples to his Father in heaven. During his earthly ministry, Jesus cared, Jesus cared for his family, and they cared for him. And although, from the Jewish culture, we learn as we study that as the oldest son, it would have been his responsibility to care for his mother after the death of his earthly father, which is Joseph, which many believe by this time in Jesus' life, Joseph has passed away. And we can see that in, even in the midst of this, Jesus is not disregarding that. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 19. And the point that we want to make this morning is that although Jesus turns to the crowd and says, Here is my mother, my brothers, and whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus is not saying, disregard your family. Jesus is not saying, disown them. But rather, you need to keep them in their proper place. Because Jesus did care. And as the Gospel of Mark tells us, Jesus had four younger brothers. And yet, while he hung on the cross, Jesus says, says these words. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. The standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which we believe to be John. Jesus said, saw his mother, and said, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Even as he hung on the cross bleeding for the sins of the world, Jesus took time to care for his mother, that she would be provided for. Matthew wants us to focus on the heart of the story. Not so much the details that are taking place, but he wants us to see that as he interacted with the people, Jesus had regard for his family, but Jesus was by no way going to break the law. Even as Exodus tells us, honor your father and mother is one of the Ten Commandments. He did just that. And he clearly expresses this time and again. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, back to the Matthew, chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we read these words. Beginning at verse 3, he answered them, 
Why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have gained from me and given to God? He needed not, he need not honor his father for the sake of your tradition. You have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, His people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. The reason we examine these passages in, in various Gospels is because as Jesus is speaking to the crowds and wanting to tell them, who do people say that I am? They're going off and accusing him of, of casting out demons by the work of the devil, and all of a sudden here comes his mother and his brothers, and they say he's out of his mind, we need to get him out of the crowd. Jesus is going to say, who are my mother and my brothers? And the Pharisees were breaking the law, as Jesus said not to do, and they were saying, well, my, my devotion to the Lord is more important than my, than my parents. There in Matthew 15, and Jesus says, you hypocrites. Jesus is not giving an instruction to disown his family, but Jesus is reorienting the mindset that it needs to be our commitment and our obedience to the Father in heaven, which is, allows us to see the family in its proper place. And this moment would have resonated with the Jews, with, with the Jews whom Jesus was speaking, because many of, the, many of their families, those who weren't accusing Jesus of blasphemy, Many others were following him and, and leaving their work, even as the disciples had. They were following Jesus to the point where many people were probably, as, Joe, as Jesus' brothers were, accusing of people of being out of their minds. What are they doing? How can you leave your family to follow this so-called Messiah? But Jesus wants to instruct them. Jesus wants to remind them that you are not sufficient in and of yourself, that you don't have all the answers. Don't stop caring. Don't stop loving your family. But don't make it the ultimate identity of everything you do. And I think our culture has inundated with us so much to think that way. To get us to have, even though many young mothers might say, no, my, house, my household is not in order, if you come out, there's going to be food all over the floor. Clothes are going to be strung out all over the place. I don't have time to clean. And yet there's always this prideful battle to go back and forth to compare between other mothers. Fathers might do it, maybe not to the same extent. But we want to look like we have it all together. And as such, our mindset is one of focused on ourselves. Even... Jesus' mother and his brothers, as they come to him and approach him, and they're saying he's out of his mind, their focus was, let's take care of him. And Jesus is saying, I've come to do my Father's will. So we want to challenge each other as followers of Jesus Christ. Mothers, where is your hope found? Is it found in the security of a marriage and children, motherhood? Is that your foundation? Or is it in Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus is our focus, it puts everything else in its proper perspective. It's, I think it's a little bit hard for us to imagine. We have to kind of use our imaginations a little bit and place ourselves there in, in the context of Matthew chapter 12. 
the town of Capernaum is not very big, but so many people have come out to see Jesus. And there's so many who are following him. And so many of him are, are, them are accusing him of things that aren't true. He can't even eat food. His disciples are sitting around him and his own family shows up and they can't even get into the house. And people are saying one thing and some another and going back and forth. And Jesus takes the time to instruct and to care. We see Jesus as, he is care- as his family is caring for, for him. He wants the people to know that he, they are not forgotten, but you must understand properly their place before the Lord. Motherhood, parenthood, is a spiritual battle to set our hearts and our minds focused on the Lord or to set our hearts and our minds on ourselves, to do what we want. And to say, Lord, are you going to be sufficient for today when my child misbehaves again? Or am I going to get frustrated? Because often as parents, especially of young children, we can find ourselves, fathers as well, saying, what's wrong with you? I told you this yesterday. And again, day in and day out. And we forget our own hearts in our own minds, and the selfishness that can come. Bible teacher and biblical counselor Paul Tripp gives this analogy. He says, if you're a parent and you see your children, it doesn't take long for you to realize that parenting, that that what you are parenting is a little self-sovereign. Those who think that their deepest level of needs is their own authority, and they can do what they want. Even if he cannot yet walk or speak, he rejects your wisdom, He rebels. He shakes his head. He pushes the food away. He has no idea what is bad for him to eat and what is good. And he rejects your every effort to put it into his mouth because he has already decided what he wants. As he grows a little, he begins to, he doesn't always comprehend. He goes and sticks his finger in an electrical outlet and he he tries to do what he wants. He he rejects your instruction when when you tell him not to. And it's precisely because you told him not to that he contemplates doing it again. He decides when he wants to sleep and when he doesn't want to eat, what he wants to do. He wants to wrangle himself out of your arms. He believes that he is right to rule his life. And he fights every attempt to bring you under submission of his own control. Paul Tripp goes on to say, now here's what you have to understand. When you're at the end of a very long parenting day, When your children seem to conspire together in rebellion against you and you're sitting on your bed exhausted and frustrated and you remember and you need to remember that you are more like your children than unlike them. We all want to have the rule in our own worlds. Each of us want to have authority for what we deem best rather than what has been given to us. Each of us want God to sign our wish list at the bottom line. And when, we get, when he gives it to us, we say, this is good. But if he doesn't, we wonder if following him is really worth it. Like all our children, we need to decide, am I going to submit to the authority of God in my life, or am I going to do it my way? Mary and her sons, the brothers of Jesus, had an idea. They wanted to intervene on Jesus' behalf. But Jesus uses it as an opportunity 
to tell others about his Father in heaven. As Jesus is told, your mother and your brothers outside wanting to speak to you, Jesus offers these words, verse 48 of Matthew chapter 12. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? On the forefront, it seems like a rather silly question. Uh, Jesus, they're right outside. They're wanting to speak to you. But his mission takes priority over the family. Rather than negating the importance of his family, Jesus is demonstrating the preeminence of the commitment to him and his father. Jesus is not calling us for, for us to disown our families, but rather to follow the will of God. J.C. Ryle put it so wonderfully when he says, The practical lesson in these verses is that the tender affection for which Jesus regards his true disciples. Jesus is calling for us to know our place in following him as obedient children according to his perfect will. Ryle goes on to say, We should mark how he speaks of everyone who does the will of the Father in heaven with what with such gracious words. One commentator said, Fidelity to and respect for one's family were so heavily emphasized in Jesus' day that such words must have struck their hearers quite forcefully. Many Jews interpreted, uh, interpreters regarded the command to honor your father and mother as the most important in the law. Family relationships in the ancient world were so often defined by hierarchy that even more, and even more by kinship, than more by kinship ties. What Jesus is saying is not trying to destroy the family ties, but rather put them in their proper place. Jesus can thus define his mother and brothers and sisters as those who do the will of God. In other places in the New Testament, as Jesus is carrying out his ministry, he tells to those who want to follow him that if you do, he's going to divide certain households. Not because he's out to get people, but because he says, by the very fact of following me, you're denying yourself. Siblings will be set against each other. Parents will be set against their children and children against their parents. And he even says elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And even not in just the days of Jesus in the ancient culture, but in our own day. We think, how strong of words. You say, oh, what, are you, what, what is the Bible even talking about? Yeah, I love the Lord. Yeah, I want to follow him. But then there's this, this balance between our upbringing and what we've always been taught to honor, to honor our family ties. We may say, I love my family. I love my parents. And I love the Lord Jesus. Then how we live has bearings on that. Do people see more loyalty to family ties? Or do they see loyalty to Jesus Christ that puts the family ties in its proper place? But on on another level, there are are many cultures and people groups who emphasize family ties to the extreme, that even as a family may grow to hate one another, they still are loyal, in the one sense more out of duty. The world portrays it as such that there is nothing more important And yet the danger lies in making family the ultimate thing when God needs to be the ultimate. The one who becomes a Christ follower receives a new 
an extended spiritual family with intimacy and allegiance that transcends even ties to biological family members. Having biological siblings and close relatives who are also Christ followers creates the potential for having the best of both worlds. Spiritual uh, geological family in sync with one another, both in home and in the church. It is common to hear people say that we're all God's children. But that miscues what the scripture is trying to tell us. Everybody who has ever lived is born in the image of God. But not everyone is a child of God. Because Jesus tells his disciples, those who do the will of my Father in heaven are children of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says to them, who are my brothers? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus wants his followers to see that as in the midst of the throng of the crowd, in the midst of all these people pressing in against him and accusing him and following him and listening to the words he has to say, in a culture that has strong family ties being the most important, and the crowds are here and pressing in on him, and a, and a messenger has to come in, work his way through the crowd, and say to Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. And what Jesus does is he doesn't acknowledge them. What he does is he asks a question. He looks to the crowd and he points to his 12 disciples. Who are my, who's my brother? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? He says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. And it would be interesting to be there that day and see maybe the hush that goes through the crowds or the murmuring, maybe the eye rolls. Jesus is telling his followers, your identity is not in just who you are. Your identity is not just in your family. Your identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that right, a lot of things are going to be out of whack. Because the answer then relies in yourself. The answer then relies in your own self-sufficiency. Nobody can tell me what to do. And yet as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity is to be found in him. As a result, he changes our mindset. Both with our biological family and with our spiritual family. That we need to follow the will of the Lord and do that which he's required of us. The reason we want to look at this text this morning is because I think even in our own day, we, take, we, we elevate the family to a pedestal that God has not designed it to be on. Even in Jesus' day, his mother and his brothers were trying to intervene. He's out of his mind. Those are strong words to use, especially of the Savior who's come to the world to take away our sins. He's out of his mind. We've got to help him. We've got to get him out of there. And Jesus, it seems, he's not even really breaking a sweat. Nothing is catching him off guard. He's going, who, are, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He's not, dis- he's not calling them to disown them. He's saying, but if you want to 
know what it really means to follow me if you really want to know what it means to follow the Lord God. Do his will. Do the will of the Lord. This puts everything in its proper place. What's so fascinating about our text is as it continues on, we don't see the outcome. We don't see the response of Mary and his brothers. And this, during this encounter, that doesn't mean Jesus neglected them, but he decided he wanted to teach his followers a valuable lesson. And that's what we as a church need to be reminded of as well. And mothers, where is our identity found? Is it found in the children that God has given to us in a marriage that we hope is secure? Or is it found in the Lord Jesus Christ? To those who are well into motherhood, those who've raised children and sent them off, who have fewer days in front of them than, than behind them, I want to challenge you today to continue to place your identity and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to do his will. If your children are walking with the Lord Jesus, then give thanks and rejoice. But if they are not, do not cease to pray for them. Do not cease to love them. God's grace is sufficient to meet your every need and to give you the peace of mind. To those who are neck deep in motherhood and of child rearing, whether they be children or teenagers, keep pointing them to the Lord Jesus. Tell them to find their identity in him. As each day you, you come to the end, weary and exhausted, place your strength in the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day. And those who are elbow deep in diaper changes and daily feedings, remember that God cares for you. In everything you do, it is not overlooked or ignored. It is totally worth it, for his grace is sufficient. Do not get so wrapped up in being self-sufficient on yourself, but remember the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me to do your will today. Teach me to follow you as one of your disciples. We don't have all the answers. But Lord, we pray that you give us strength for each day to do your will. To those who are not yet mothers, whether married or single, yet desiring one day to be married and have children of their own, remember the earth, one of the greatest things you could do on this earth is raise children and teach them to love the Lord their God with all their hearts. But don't make motherhood the ultimate thing of your soul identity. Make the ultimate thing the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can know that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they would want to follow him as well. To those who've lost children along the way, remember where your hope and comfort is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who brought healing to a fallen world, for his grace is sufficient. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are part of the family of God. Don't let fam biological family ties take you away from following the Lord Jesus Christ because that happens, that happens far too often. Our families may think us crazy, just as Jesus did, and say he is out of his mind. How many of us have family members, brothers, sisters, loved ones, who say you're, you're out of your mind? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you read your Bible? We say it's worth it because my identity is not found in the things of this earth, but my identity is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. They may think us crazy, they may think us strange, they may think us weird. And even to young mothers, 
So why do you spend all that time praying with your children? They can't understand. Why do you spend all that time reading the Bible or having them memorize passages of Scripture? They're so young. We say because we want them to grow and love the Lord. We want them to have their identity in Him. Because the world tells them so much of what they can be and what they can do. And it's not the case. The only thing we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Motherhood, parenthood, for both fathers and mothers. Our identity is not found in what we do. Our identity is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our love for family is to be strong. But for the world to see how much we love Jesus Christ, our love for him must be stronger. And as a result, he will give us the grace each day to love our families as we should. We need mothers who love the Lord Jesus Christ and mothers who will pay the cost to point their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, motherhood is surely an overwhelming task, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, motherhood is a beautiful thing for a fallen world to see that I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want my children to know him as well. So that we can say to a fallen world, I want to do the will of my Father in heaven. I am part of the family of God. I love the Lord Jesus more than anything, and I want my children to love him more than anything as well. So place your strength in him. Trust him for each day, each diaper change, each rebellious attitude, each time we're weary, will it ever end? Find your sufficiency in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in having all the answers, not in solving every problem to the best of your ability, but rather cry out for strength and say, Lord, I need you so that these children will rise and grow to love you as I love you. We want to be fathers, we want to be mothers as God has called us to be to love and to serve, to teach and to train our children to fear and love the Lord. And how will they fear and love the Lord unless we fear and love the Lord and do his will each and every day? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Father God, challenging us to remember the importance of motherhood, the importance of parenting, is surely an overwhelming task. In our own words, and our own efforts, we have many ideas, many of which are good, many of which can often bring sharp words from others, even those within the own body of Christ. Father God, I pray that we would not try to solve things in our own sufficiency. Father God, I pray that we would run to you each day for strength. Forgive us when we wrap up everything about ourselves, when we make family the ultimate and neglect you. I pray, Father God, that you convict our hearts. Father God, maybe there's some in here today who are struggling with these words because family is so important, and the thought of making you more important, Father God, is just confusion. I pray, Father God, that you would convict our hearts to remember your place in our lives as our Savior. 
Father God, I pray for the mothers here today. Many are struggling. Many are weary. Maybe some can't make it through the day without tears. I pray that you would strengthen them as only you can do. Father God, even in the midst of the good days and the joyful days and the laughs and the giggles, when our teenagers seem to have have everything together and they love the Lord, I pray that we would not neglect you because everything is going well, but would remember and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength each day. Father God, I pray that both both mothers and fathers, men and women in this room, young and old, Father God, that we would run to you for our strength, for our identity, and say, Lord, your will be done, not mine. Your grace is sufficient for each day. Forgive us when we try to do it all ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for the body of Christ a church family that loves one another. We thank you for the moms who so faithfully come and to serve, whether it's in the nursery, in teaching, instructing and guiding their children to know you. I pray that these children would grow to see the example of their moms, and they would want that kind of relationship with you. Father God, strengthen us as we go from here this day to the daily grind of parenthood, of motherhood, that we would remember your grace is sufficient. When the frustrations come, we cry out to you and not out of anger. Father God, when the joyful times come, we rejoice in the blessings that you've provided. Thank you for your goodness to us. We pray for the moms, young and old. Give them strength, Father God. Thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you for their love for you. May it not go unnoticed, but they would leave here today being reminded that it is worth it every step of the way. We pray these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.